0: Well, what a joy it is to be together on this special day. Today is a family Sunday. We've got our kids in the house. Let's welcome them. Let's give all our families and kids. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. We're going to talk about Pentecost and what that means. And the kids have actually been learning about the Holy Spirit in their classes, which has been awesome. I asked like five kids if they wanted to share one thing they've learned, and I was shut out. I'm 0 for 5 this morning. One final opportunity, though. Any kids going once, twice? What you've learned about the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Spirit is not moving. That's okay. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have our kids and our families here. Here at Community Church, we don't just tolerate our kids in here. All right? We welcome here welcome them here, Uh, love to see families together. So they've got coloring pages, they've got notes that go with the sermon. So uh, especially if your kid's a little bit older, take that opportunity afterwards and say, hey, uh, you know, what'd you learn? So great opportunity for us this morning. So a question for you today as we dive in, very simple, how do you know that God is real? How do you know that God is real to you? This is an important question for everybody sitting here. If you're a kid and you're, you're growing up and you're just beginning to learn about Jesus and learn some of the stories of the Bible, how do you know that God is real? Real. If you've got some um, miles on the tires, and you've gone through some hard times, and things are breaking down, you're experiencing loss around you, how do you know that God is real? And how do you know that God is real to you? Those are important questions to ask, and I want to make a case this morning that the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit specifically at Pentecost, confirms the reality of God's presence. I want to tackle this in three different pieces this morning, and the first is this— that the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost confirms that God's presence is real on the outside and on the inside, and that you can actually know that God is real. I want to invite you to open up your Bible, turn on your Bible, look at the screen, go to the app. I want God's Word in front of us This morning. First of all, God's presence is real on the outside. What I mean by that is that there's truth, there's reality that we can observe, we can see. Whether you believe it or not, it's true and it's there. Just as we look at history and we say World War II really happened, whether you believe it or not, it actually happened. You could watch a movie about World War II that may have some made-up stuff, but there's a core truth that it refers back to. I want to suggest to us this morning that one of the things that the Holy Spirit can do is remind us of the truth that is objective, that is outside of us. I want to take you to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is Dr. Luke. He's going to write a historical account so that you may know the certainty. You may know why you believe what you believe that there is evidence. It's not just your feelings. It's not just your experience. There's a truth, capital T, that's out there. And Luke is going to say, I'm going to write this down. Now, Luke is the prequel to the book of Acts. I want to take you to the beginning of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, this is Acts 1, verse 1, And in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Dr. Luke is setting this up. He said, I'm going to give you an account of what really happened. And friends, I want you to think of your own journey of faith. If you're like me, there was a point where you said, this is really true. This is really true. I've looked at the evidence. I've had my doubts. I've gone through a process, but I've looked at the evidence, and I believe this is the best explanation of what happened. And sometimes that journey can have its hills and its valleys, some valleys of doubt and maybe even some despair, but there's a process of going back, to that which is outside of me, and saying, this really happened. Now, how does the Holy Spirit come into play with this? I want to take you to our our Acts 2 passage today that we've already heard, but I want to hit a few points again. When the day of Pentecost came, this is Acts 2, 1, they were all together in one place. Now, there's about 120 of them. They're in Jerusalem. These are real people with real names in a real place. That is significant for us this morning. It's called Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. If you were here for uh, Good Friday and we did a Passover meal, we remembered the Seder meal these are real things that happened. Pentecost was a festival 50 days after that. It also coincides with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So it's got all this significance to it. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what, ha- what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you imagine being there on that day and seeing this and hearing this? What an amazing day that must have been. Kids, we've got some coloring pages there for you. You can, you can get a glimpse of that. You can, you can start to get this picture in your mind of that actual day God broke through human history when Jesus came into this earth when Jesus died when Jesus rose and we see God breaking through history again through this experience that real people actually witnessed verse 5 now they were staying in Jerusalem now they were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism... Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Imagine what that must have been like. I want you to think about languages for a moment. I have the blessing uh, at the end of June, I'm going to go to Brazil uh, on a mission trip to see Pastor Telly and celebrate 30 years of world renewal, and I can't wait to be a part of that. Part of my preparation is trying to learn some Portuguese. Now, as a, as a kid, as a student growing up, I, I learned some Spanish. Portuguese is similar to Spanish, but different as well. But I want you to think of it this way. We all have a, we have a primary language. We have a first language, and then there are other languages that we may or may not Pick up. But what is so amazing about Pentecost is people heard God's praise. They heard praising. They heard this in their own language. So, what that suggests to us this morning is that there is no hierarchy of languages with God. If you know anything about Islam, the Quran Muslims believe is only God's revealed word in one language, Arabic. Not so for those of us who follow Jesus. There's no hierarchy of language. What a picture. What a picture that we see. Chat GPT. How many of you have been on Chat GPT? Any students cheated with chat? Time to confess. But it reveals that there are like 4,000 languages that ChatGPT recognizes. What an amazing thing to consider. Let's look at how people responded. Verse 12 Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? One of the ways to think about this Pentecost is to go all the way back. And and I believe some that were there might have made this connection. They had the Jewish Scriptures, and they would have perhaps remembered the Tower of Babel. This narrative in Genesis 11, where the people spoke one language, one language. And the people said, "'Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves.'" And otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And then God will scatter them and bring confusion. And there will be many languages. In some ways, Pentecost is a reversal and a redemption of the Tower of Babel. Where there was once confusion and they were scattered, the Spirit will bring clarity in unity. What a picture. So some were trying to make sense of this all. For others, though, verse 13, somehow, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. They don't buy it. They don't believe that it's true. One of the things that I love about Scripture Is it doesn't ignore the skeptics. It doesn't ignore those who said, I don't buy it. Even in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples, it says, Some doubted. Some doubted. I love that the Bible includes real doubt. I've had real doubt in my life. Maybe you have had that too. Jesus can handle it. He can handle our doubts. Not all were convinced, but something happened. Something happened on that Pentecost Sunday that caused some to try to make sense of it and others to say, they've all had too much to drink. So how do you explain what's your best explanation of what happened? I believe that there is a truth on the outside that the coming of the Spirit will confirm. But there's also a truth on the inside. I want to take you to 1 John 4, verse 13. These are the words of John, the beloved disciple. This is how we know... That we live in him and he in us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. There's the objective historical stuff. And you got to say, do I trust the evidence? Do I trust the eyewitnesses? There's also the experiential test that says, in my heart of hearts, do I experience the presence of God? The Spirit says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. We know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His spirit. There's a test on the inside. Now, we can get nervous about these kinds of things because we, we don't want to be led by our feelings, our experience can get us all over the place, but there is a confirmation of the spirit when you put your faith and your trust in Christ. There's a love, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a reminder that he is with you. John continues, That is a counter to any fear that we can have. That's absolutely real. Doesn't mean that we don't have fears, doesn't mean that we don't have doubts. But there's something supernatural about the love and the joy and the peace of a life with God that is absolutely real. The second thing that Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit confirms for us is that God's personal presence is available and accessible to all by faith. What that means is you can belong to the family of God. You can belong. Take you to Acts 2.14, then Peter. Remember, Peter's the one who had denied Jesus He was scared, he was afraid. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he would believe Jesus would restore him. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That logic may not work at the Speedway this morning. I'm not sure. Have to phone our brothers and sisters in Christ who are evangelizing this morning out there. See? Peter continues, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's going back to the Old Testament, back to the prophets. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. There's an opening up of the kingdom that we see. What was once available only to Jews is now available to all who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. This may be hard for us to, to imagine in our day and age. We won't have time to go to it. But a few chapters later in Acts 10, Peter's going to be called to go to the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Cornelius. He's a Gentile, he's a non-Jew, and if you were a good Jew, you didn't eat with Gentiles. And the Spirit says, eat with him, share with him. And Cornelius will come to faith, Cornelius will receive the Holy Spirit. There is an opening up, there is no favoritism in the kingdom. It's available and accessible to all by faith. Continue in Acts, fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold On him. Imagine being there. If you were there and you heard Peter, chances are you were also there when Jesus was crucified. Imagine being in the crowd as the chance went out, crucify him. And to hear this now, to hear this now. Romans 6.10 tells us it's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead can be in us when we put our faith and trust in Him. Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's a great question. If I'm there, and I'm one who shouted, crucify him, and then I hear, oh, that's actually the Messiah. He actually rose from the dead. It's, it's really true. Imagine being cut to the heart. Imagine that. All of us at some level, we were once opposed to God. We were once, this isn't real. And we come to the point where we are cut to the heart and we must ask, what must I do? Peter replied, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn around, change your mind. I once didn't think Jesus was real. I was once my own savior. I was once, I just don't buy it. And there's a moment where we're cut to the heart and we say, this is really true. And because this is true, I turn around. It doesn't mean I have to clean myself up first, But I turn around, I'm cut to the heart, and I have an opportunity to put my faith and trust in Christ and ask him for forgiveness because it is my sin that separates me from God. So what happened in this day? 3,000, 3,000 do this. They repent and they follow Jesus. Imagine that scene. 3,000 will turn around and put their faith and their trust in Christ. And the church is born. A final thing for us. God's personal presence today is a taste of what is to come. It's a taste of what is to come. Your future is secure no matter what I want to take you to Ephesians 1 verse 13 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. May we consider this, if Jesus really rose, if he really rose, then you can trust your life with him. You can trust him with everything. If he really rose, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter your circumstances, no matter your feelings... No matter the sickness you're going through, really appreciated the opportunity last week to pray together in little huddles. We've got a prayer team that prayed for every one of those concerns that were turned in. We had 40-some cards turned in. 30-some people talked about a specific illness that was prayed over. I believe we had 23 that identified a specific mental health need that we prayed for. Friends, we live at a time right now of challenge. In the 2,000 years, there have always been challenges. If the resurrection is true, if it really happened, everything will ultimately be okay. Everything will ultimately be made right. Everything will ultimately be restored. So the Holy Spirit reminds us of that truth, reminds us of that truth. I want to leave you with three ways that I believe we can grow closer to the Holy Spirit. Closer in times of challenge, closer in times of doubt. The first one is this, get to know the Holy Spirit get to know the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, I grew up and I, I, I had a concept of God the Father. I could make a little bit of sense of that. I could, I could picture Jesus. But the Holy Spirit was very mysterious to me. And I had difficulty. I would say in the last 10 years, my, my relationship with the Holy Spirit and understanding has really deepened. And that's been as pivotal to me as really coming to terms with the truth of the resurrection, that the Holy Spirit is actually real and active. It's not the force of Luke Skywalker. The Holy Spirit is a person, and we're invited to get to know him. Some of you this morning, as you you think about your own journey, and you're looking for reasons to believe, and you're looking to answer some why questions and some how questions. Sometimes our why and our how isn't strong enough because our who isn't close enough. We don't have a close enough relationship to the Holy Spirit. I believe that we want to know more and more about the things that we love. I believe that's true on lots of levels. I overheard a conversation uh, this morning in the office between two people who you wouldn't think would normally be great friends, probably 35 years of age difference and just different, different entrants, both love Jesus, but they got to talking about IndyCar racing, and both of their eyes lit up, and it was like they started talking about all these records and different owners and different engines and all these things it didn't mean anything to me. I just remember the answers and riding my big wheel and the the cars whizzing around, but I haven't followed it much since then. But for them, their eyes lit up, and it was this you too moment. You too care about this. You two are really interested, and there's a sparkle in their eye. And friends, as we come together and we think about and we learn together about God and about the Holy Spirit, I believe there ought to be a moment where we say, oh, let's dive in. Let's understand more and more of who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. And that's available to each one of us. The second thing is to pray to reorder your loves. We have lots of things that we love, lots of things that we like, lots of things that we give our time and energy two. The question is, what is at the center and what is at the top of that list? As we think about the reality of Pentecost, the reality of the Holy Spirit, we are invited to reorder our loves. To pray, God, change. Do you want to want to change? Do you want to to want to put God at the top. That's where it can start. And then finally, I would challenge us to choose to walk by the Spirit, not by your own selfish desires. I put them in that order because there's a, there's a way of thinking and understanding the Spirit, there's an experience of changing our desires that then leads to walking daily with the Spirit. As we consider the Holy Spirit and and its significance on this particular day and on this significance of understanding as a church family, from our youngest to our oldest, we remember what Jesus did for us. And one of the ways that we remember that, and, and this is where the what we see on the outside and what we experience on the inside can come together. Before Jesus went to the cross, he, he promised, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And not only does he give us the Holy Spirit, but he says, I'm going to give you a meal to remember the significance of my death. So here at Community Church, we remember communion. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's an invitation that's open to all who've put their faith and trust in Christ. If kids understand that and want to be a part of that, we would would love that. But we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples In the upper room. And after giving thanks, he broke bread and said, This is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he he took the cup and he said, This cup represents my blood, blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, blood, the blood of the new covenant. So just as we receive the bread, we also receive the cup. And here's another thing we do we look back and we remember that and we look forward to his return. Because he rose, we know that it's true, and he will return. And we have the promise of life with him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, for your love for us. We thank you for the evidence that you give us through your spirit. That's not only true on the outside and true historically, but also true for us and real for us on the inside. So as we remember the bread, we remember the cup, we say, thank you. And We pause now and we reflect and examine our hearts as we prepare to come to the table and say thank you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So friends, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, the the table is open. When you're ready, you can come and receive and take the elements on your own.